Albert Einstein said, we cannot solve our problems with the same thinking we used when we created them. Do we need an Einstein to solve Medicare's pending insolvency? You're listening to ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Saving. Dr. Saving is the University Distinguished Professor of Economics and Director of the Private Enterprise Research Center, both at the Texas A&M University. Dr. Saving has been a trustee of the Social Security and Medicare Trust Fund since 2000. He is co-author of the book, The Diagnosis and Treatment of Medicare. Today we're discussing Dr. Saving's novel solutions to financing Medicare health care benefits. Welcome, Dr. Savings. It's a treat to have you with us again at the Clinician's Roundtable. Well, it's great to be here, Bill. Well, I'm putting you up there with Einstein. So you have something that you've been working on at the Institute as a Medicare trustee. What needs to be done now to change the way we're funding this system? I think fundamentally we have to make individuals, consumers, care what it costs, while at the same time handling what we might refer to as a social insurance problem. That is that some individuals are sicker than others, and we have to find a way to give them the amount of funding that it takes, but give them the incentives to shop for what they buy. And at the same time, it gives providers the incentive to, for example, specialize in certain aspects. We can think of diabetes, for example. And one of the big issues has been that is that CMS, who are the people who run, you know, the Medicare and Medicaid programs, Mm -hmm. one of their big issues, and I remember uh, when Mark McClellan was there, Mark and I talked about this, and he was thinking disease management. They were going to have this wonderful outcomes from disease management. Yes, I remember that. Yeah, and what disease management is, as you know, and uh, most of your listeners do, is that individuals are going to take care of themselves in a way that's going to reduce costs. And in my response to Mark and everyone who says this, I said, that's only going to work if you incentivize the patients to take care of themselves and the providers have to be incentivized. And HMOs are clearly incentivized to try to get their customers to take care of themselves because that's going to directly lower their costs. But it's not clear that it's in the customer's interest to do that. And we have to find a way to do that. And I think we do that with something like a significant expansion of health savings accounts where the individuals at the end of the year, the money that they don't spend on health care is their money, and they can spend it any way they want to. They can go and buy a computer with it. They can buy a new car. They can do anything that they want with it. That means that every dollar they spend during the year is theirs. Even though we've given it to them at the beginning of the year, it's their money. And they're going to go in when they come to see you, for example, with their children and ask you, what is this going to cost? And what are the options? What are my options? What if you're giving me a prescription? What happens if I don't take it? That's a piece of information that it's important for them to know, just as when they go to get their car worked on and says, you need a new air filter and it's going to cost you $30. And you say, well, what happens if I don't get one? What's going to happen? If you ever listen to car talk on the weekend, you know, the Tappet brothers are always telling people whether this is important repair or it's not. And I think that's what individuals need to know, and that's what they'd be asking if it was their money. But if it was their money, what did our mothers say? Save it for a rainy day? Do you think people really going to save it for a rainy day, or at the end of the year they're going to go, wow, I got this windfall profit, I'm going to go get myself a new color TV? Well, they ought to be able to do that. That's my point. But then what are you going to do with them when they're 65 and broke? The health savings account, this would be something that would happen every year. So the money that's left over is yours. But each year it's your money. 
But now you're asking a different question, which is what do we do? How do we get people to prepare for the fact that they're going to retire at some time or another? Okay, and right. I think that's a really important issue, and that means we're going to have to somehow establish part of your Medicare taxes should be used to build up what we might refer to as a health insurance account that at the end of the time when you get to retirement, you're going to have a flow of funds. And that flow of funds, the way we've tried to look at it, is that's going to be your deductible. And that's money that's your money. And each year, you're going to have this annuity that you've accumulated during your lifetime. Just as you pay taxes now, these taxes would go into an account that belongs to you. And at the end, just with Social Security, you get a uh, monthly payment from it. That's your deductible. If you don't spend the money by the end of the year, this is, this is for health care. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the year, if you haven't spent it, it's yours to spend on anything else you want to. Now, once you get beyond the deductible, then what's left of Medicare would be picking up the tab. But all the way up to this deductible, which will be significant by the time you get to, uh, say, people who were born in 1970, by the time they would retire, because those people are only 38 years old now, when they get to 65, the high earners, according to this system, would be paying for 90% of their health care the first year after they retire. Low-income people will only be paying for 30%, uh, but everybody would care what it costs, and everyone would be viewing this, and I think you as a provider they would want to know, what is this going to cost me? And they might make comparisons. You might have to actually advertise your prices the way the uh, LASIK surgery people do. One of my board members is a radiological oncologist at MD Anderson, and I would say to her, I dream I'm driving to Houston and I see a big sign that says, come to MD Anderson, $95 a day, everything included. The point is, that's how LASIK surgery is advertised. You see the sign and the price is big. That's important. What good would it be for me as a Medicare provider to advertise my prices when they're fixed by the Medicare fee schedule? The Medicare fee schedule under this reform has to be gone. No more Medicare fee schedule. Now you said something I think doctors don't want to hear about. So let me just pause for a moment, if I may, to welcome those who are just joining us at the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM157, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and with me today is Dr. Thomas Saving, Distinguished Professor of Economics and director of the Private Enterprise Research Center, both at Texas A&M University. So under your system of redefining and redesigning Medicare, there would be no fee schedule. That's right. MedPAC would be gone. Individuals are buying it, just like there's no fee schedule for anything else that you buy. You walk into Best Buy, there aren't any fee schedules. The fee schedules are going to be determined by the market. The prices would be real. And so you would know what it was when you went. And, for example, hospitals compete, and there is a hospital in Pennsylvania that guarantees your heart surgery. If you have to go back in, they pick up the tab. So you know what it's going to cost you. Now, they can't get reimbursed for Medicare for that. But you, in a real market, that's exactly what things would be. We're going to do a quadruple bypass for you. If you have to come back in, we're going to pick up the tab. It's just like when you get your car repaired, we guarantee it. They could guarantee it. And I think that's the kind of competition that would happen if we actually had customers caring what it costs. And the individuals who supplied that could actually be reimbursed for it. How likely is something like that to happen in the United States? If we think just a little bit about what these things are going to cost in the very near future, and I think then we can find out and we can ask a simple question. Right now, the Medicare funding shortfalls are using up about 11% of federal income taxes. In 12 years, they're going to be using up double that. 22% of the federal income tax revenues are going to be used up with Medicare. 
It's going to be 40% in 22 years. You know that's not going to happen. Congress is not going to let the federal government get 40% smaller. So that means they're going to have to do something. And between 2011 and 2020, that's nine years, we're going to double the share of federal income taxes it's going to take to fund Medicare. They're not going to let that happen. That means that they're going to change the way we're funding it. Now, whether they change it in a way that is rationing or whether they change it in a way that gives people more freedom is what the important issue is. And we have to be trying to make sure that they do it in a way that makes people freer instead of less free. Do you equate a single-payer system with less free and rationing? I don't think there's any question about it. It's going to have to be. If you have a single-payer system, you're going to have to ration. That's exactly what Canada has. And Canadians, of course, if they can't get care in Canada, they can come here. But if we're in the same system they're in, some of the people in Canada are very scared that that's going to happen to us because then they won't be able to come here. They'll have to go all the way to Bangkok or something instead of just being able to drive across the border and get health care whenever their system won't let them have it. If I came to you as presidential candidate Barack Obama, John McCain, and said, give me five steps that I can have a solvent Medicare system that's going to provide adequate health care for retirees in the future, what do we need to do now? I would start by immediately saying we're going to recognize that we have this problem and we're going to begin a system of accounts in which you're going to make contributions in addition to the current contributions. This is going to cost something. None of this is free. In the end, though, you're going to have a real deal. In the end, when you get to retirement, you're going to know what you have. And where we are right now is it's all up for grabs. Congress can change the deal anytime they want to. You have absolutely no ownership in anything, and they can make it anything they want. In this case, we make these contributions, and they guarantee us what we're going to get at the end. And we don't know what health care is going to cost then, but we know what we're going to have to pay for it. I think that without that, we're in a situation in which they can do anything they want to. It's not clear that unless we own it ourselves, there's any way for us to be able to accomplish significant reform. And we have to totally change the way Medicare is done, of course. It has to be all in one package. We don't need a part A, B, C, D. We need one kind of Medicare. And you have money at the end. You spend the money. If you get beyond the amount of money that you've saved from your contributions, then Medicare picks up the difference. And again, the money you put away, that's the health savings account. Is there another way that an individual would accumulate money into a, an account? You could do anything on your own, but this would be required of everybody. So everyone would have to put money away to take care of the health care part of their retirement. And roughly how much money would that be? We're looking at 4% contribution, and that's like an increase in taxes that we're doing now, except that you own it. We're not just sending it to the government so they can spend it on anything they want to. As we already know from the whole discussion of private accounts for Social Security, this is something that isn't easy to put together. There is no lockbox. So that means individuals have to actually own these accounts. Now, they can't spend them on anything until they retire. So that's important. But it's theirs, and Congress can't take it away from them. It's their money to use for health care. And at the end of each year, any money they don't spend on health care, they can spend any way they want to without any penalty. And we can then take care of a large part of what we now look at at healthcare. But it's going to cost more at the beginning. So that means for something like 20 years, it's going to be more expensive than the current system. 
because we have to count. And then once you get beyond 20 years, it becomes a lot cheaper than the current system. And I think that's where we have to go. And that's a system in which ultimately prices would become real. But that means you have to get rid of all of Medicare's fixed pricing for everything, including what physicians get reimbursed. There isn't any sustainable growth rate in this. This is totally gone. Our time has just flown by, Dr. Saving, and I'd like to thank you so much for being my guest for this stimulating discussion on how to pay for Medicare's unfunded liability. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM 157, the channel for medical professionals. I invite you to listen to our on-demand library at ReachMD.com. Register with promo code RADIO to receive six months of free streaming audio. Please call us at 888-MD-XM-157 with your comments or suggestions. Thanks for listening. Until next time, I wish you good day and good health.